Welcome to Daily Defining Moments. This is Pastor Allen, and I'm so glad you're with me. Our goal each day is to help you open your Bible and connect with Jesus. Remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. Well, we're reading through the New Testament portion of the one-year Bible in the New Living Translation. Today is January 1st, and so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1. Before we jump into the text, let me give you some idea about what we're trying to do. Over this next year, I want to take you through chapter by chapter through the entire New Testament. This will give you a fantastic understanding of what the New Testament, the arrival of Jesus and the birth of the church and everything that that means for us. So it's going to be a great year. I want to encourage you, make a decision today. I'm going to go through this entire year. And for many of you, you can set your podcast to update and remind you every day so that you don't miss a day. And this is going to be an exciting year. Here's the second thing. So important. When we open our Bible every day, the goal is not to just check something off the list. The goal is to draw near to Jesus. It's to open our hearts to hear and to receive what the Spirit of God is saying through the Word of God to us that day for our life circumstances. I want to encourage you every day to pause before you play the podcast and just invite the Spirit of God to open your heart and give you ears to hear what He wants to say to you that day. Then third, sometimes when you have time, I would try to read along and to take your time reading through Scripture, praying through and trying to listen to the voice of God often. In fact, almost daily when I'm reading the Bible, God speaks to me personally about what's going on in my life or in my heart to encourage and to strengthen me to build my faith. God wants to meet with you every day. We're not just reading a book. We're meeting with God. So come expecting God to speak to you. All right, well, let's jump in today. We're in Matthew chapter one. We're going to begin in verse one, and then I want to describe what Matthew's doing here. Verse one says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. So let me just pause and make sure you know what's going on. Matthew is one of the 12 disciples. He was actually a tax collector. Jesus invited him, follow me. His life was transformed. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, years later, he begins writing this book. So it is an eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He is reporting what he saw, what he experienced. And he begins his book with the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to take time to read through this genealogy. It's 16 verses long of just name after name after name. But I want to highlight two big ideas that are important for you to know. First, he said there in verse one that he's showing that Jesus, the Messiah, is a descendant of David. Now, the reason that's so important is because a thousand years earlier, God promised David that I'm going to send a Messiah. There's going to be somebody that rules on the throne of David. So the Messiah has to be born in the genealogical line 
of David. And so what Matthew's doing at the beginning of his book is he's showing the family record. He's showing that Jesus has legitimate claim to the throne of David because he's one of David's descendants. So that was very, very important, especially in Jewish culture. Now, here's something else that's very interesting when you read through the genealogy. In the genealogy, you will find four women. Now, that alone was unusual. Typically, the genealogies just included all of the men. But in Matthew's genealogy, he includes these four women. And then more amazingly, two of the women are prostitutes, two of the women are Gentiles, and of course Bathsheba has an affair with King David. So what's kind of interesting is that there's not just women, it's kind of scandalous women in the genealogy of Jesus. And I think what Matthew's doing is he's pointing to the fact that Jesus came not just for the Jewish people, and not just for the religious and those who have it all together. Jesus came for everybody, even those of us whose lives were a mess when we met Jesus. And it's just beautiful how Matthew shows that God has invited Gentiles and imperfect people into his redemptive plan for history. Man, that's amazing. What a gracious God we serve. Well, let's pick up now in verse 18. Here's the story of the birth of Christ. Verse 18, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew does not record, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but Matthew does not record Mary's interaction with the angel who came to announce to Mary that she would have the Messiah. But he does record that Mary is a virgin. The Holy Spirit is going to impregnate her. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. Now, one thing I think is so interesting about that, and we'll see this when we get to that account in a few weeks, is how Mary opens her heart and life and just embraces this message, which was really scary because what this meant for Mary, what Mary heard when the angel made this announcement is, you're going to be a poor single mom and give birth to the Messiah. But in doing so, you're going to have to live with shame and disgrace because everybody will assume that you had this baby out of wedlock. And it probably means she has to live the rest of her life with her parents because in Jewish culture, it would have been very difficult for her to get any man to agree to marry her. So I just think it's very commendable that Mary was willing to embrace God's plan for her life, even though it did not mean riches, fame, and prosperity, right? She embraced God's plan for her life, thinking it was going to lead to suffering, disgrace, difficulty, but she was going to birth the Savior 
of the world. And the truth is, I think sometimes, especially as Americans, our expectations are, well, if I become a Christian, then everything in my life is going to go fantastic, right? God's going to answer all my prayers, all my suffering's going to end. But you will not find that idea in the Bible. Some of the people who were the godliest people ever suffered greatly, and we'll see that throughout the New Testament. However, God was working redemptively in their suffering, often for their benefit and to bring about his redemptive plan in the earth. And of course, we see that in the life of Mary. Verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. So she would have been a single mom from then on. But, verse 20, as he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit and shall have a son. And you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the reason they named him Jesus is because Jesus means God saves. So Jesus came not to lead us in the right way or teach us a new philosophy or give us another prophetic message. He came to save us. He's our savior, not our philosopher. Verse 22, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So right out of the gate, Matthew makes it clear. Jesus is God. This isn't just another prophet or a great teacher. God has entered into our world. God has taken on humanity. God has broken in to rescue us from sin and death. When Adam and Eve sinned, God and man were separated. Heaven and earth were separated. Well, now God decides, I am breaking back in and I am taking over. I have come to save and redeem all of creation. I love that. And it's clear the only way that's possible, the only way Jesus can be the God-man is to be born of a virgin. So he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So important. Then let's skip down to chapter two. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. So God basically brings these wise men to see and to worship, to honor Jesus. Well, King Herod's real nervous about that. Historically speaking, he was very, very insecure. He's a man that killed, murdered most of of his family because he felt like they were a threat to his throne. And now he finds out that the Jews have given birth to a, a prophetic king, and he's trying to kill Jesus. So in verse 9, after he meets with the wise men and sends them on their way, the star guided the wise men to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, stopped over to the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Verse 11, they entered the house, not the manger. They entered a house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. So the first thing to notice is that the wise men did not show up at the birth of Jesus. They don't come for a couple of years later. In fact, we'll see that in tomorrow's reading. So by this time, Jesus is a toddler, and they go to the home of Mary and Joseph, and Jesus is a little boy. And they give him three gifts. And it's interesting, they didn't bring him a big wheel. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And all three of these point to the offices or the roles that Jesus play plays in our lives. So the gold represents the fact that Jesus is king. Again, at the beginning of Matthew, the genealogy shows he's in the line of David. He has rightful claim to the throne of David. Jesus is king, king of kings and Lord of lords. That's what the gold represents. The frankincense was burned in the temple, and this represents Jesus' role as priest. So he is going to enter into the Holy of Holies for us and offer his blood on our behalf to make atonement to save us from our sin. And then finally, the frankincense was used to anoint the prophet. So he is a prophet. He's come to announce the year of the Lord's favor, the good news. He's come to invite people to turn around and come back to God. I love what Jesus will say. We'll see this in our next couple of days. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is hand. Turn back to me. I'm your king. God is closer than you think. So Matthew opens up right out of the gate, helping us to understand who Jesus is. And that's what the gospels are about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, they're about the life and ministry of Jesus. They help us to understand who he is and why he came. He is our king who has come to be our savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. What an exciting way to begin our year. I thank you for every person listening. I pray that you'd give us all the tenacity, the discipline to take this journey together, to go the whole year working our way through the New Testament. And I pray, God, that your word would build and strengthen our faith. God, we open our hearts to you every day. And we expect to hear your voice speaking to us, to encourage us, and to build our faith. We love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We're excited about this new year, and we can't wait to take this journey with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for being with me. So excited to take this journey this year with you. And remember, before I begin my day, God has something to say. We'll see you again tomorrow.